as you're turning back to Romans chapter 13, where we're going to look at our pursuit of holiness, our pursuit of holiness. We should have a constant pursuit of, of being holy as commanded in the scriptures over and over again. But we're commanded to be holy in a secular world, right? We're commanded to be holy in an ungodly world, sometimes in a pagan world, sometimes under pagan rule. And so as Americans, because that's who we are, we, we think very independently. We, we think about freedom and liberty, which is a beautiful gift, but... We live under the rule and subjection of Christ first, not ourselves. And so we've had that uh, benefit of being, uh, you know, feeling somewhat autonomous from the government uh, and, and, and worshiping freely our God. And yet we, we live in a country. We live in a country of rules and regulations and ordinances and um, a president and congressmen and mayors and governors and so we have governing authorities nothing new nothing new that any one of our previously brothers and sisters haven't experienced a little new in that our our system or people seem to be changing and that makes us uncomfortable and it makes us uh, at times fearful or angry or anxious uh, especially as we see uh, laws changing. So, what's our response? How then do we live under this umbrella? First, we, we always, we always uh, honor Christ. We honor the Lord by honoring the law. We see that very clearly here in Romans 13. Let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities. Now, remember, this is written in a time when Rome is in charge, right? Rome's in charge. So you, you think you have oppression. You think you don't like the law. Uh, live under Roman rule. It's a polytheistic um, government. They believe in every and anything. Uh, you just can't be exclusively Christian, right? Um, they will... Come and conquer your land. They'll they'll take your kids, put them in you know put them into their army. They'll enslave you. Not a very PC friendly country, but a powerful one. That's what this is written. This is written under that authority. Israel, Israel is under the direct authority of Rome. Pontius Pilate is a is a prefect who's placed in Israel, in the land of Israel, to rule over Israel. And so if you think that your struggle and twinge, imagine being a Jew at this time. Let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. Great reminder that, listen, it doesn't matter where you live. Any Christian in the world today can open up Romans 13 and obey the same passage. It, 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 and so we, we have you know, communist countries. We have socialist countries. We have countries that have kings. We have countries that have presidents. Um, it, it doesn't matter. Prime ministers. There is no authority except from God. God is our authority. It's God who sets princes and kings. It's important for us to understand that principle. Because we may not understand, especially if you look at all the different mayors and all the different governors, and it's like, whoa, there's a, it's not just like one guy, right? It's not just one president. There's a, a whole slew of governing authorities. But we are under the subjection, and we, and we understand that our authority is God himself. Verse 2, therefore, he who resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation. 
Again, I want that to sink in for a second. There's a resistance to authority that will and can result in condemnation. Well, I would really like to erase that, right? Because I don't like the sound of that at all. Um, I, I don't want to receive condemnation for not following ordinances that I don't like. It's another way to, to read that or restate that. But that's not what it says. Therefore, he who resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon, upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? See, rules are good. Authority is good. Even if you don't understand or like all the rules of authority. It's one of the things that you see, especially with, with kids. Kids don't understand all the rules, right? They don't understand why they can't eat sugar for dinner. They, you know, they don't understand why they can't just, you know, wear what they want, do what they want, especially when they're eight years old. But these things are good. And we're the same. There are things that we don't understand or don't like, but they're good. They're good for us. Verse 4, for it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. The government bears the sword. The government punishes, right? For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil. Wherefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. So not only do we have to obey, we also have to pay taxes, right? For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. So render all what is due them. Tax to whom tax is due. Custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. And then here's a, a pretty big shift because now we want to get into the details, right? Now we want to argue. Now we want to debate. Now we want to kind of unpeel this. And right at that moment when you really want to do that, then there's a shift or say, listen, live this way, okay? Don't get caught up in all the rules, all the regulations. Oh, nothing except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Notice we go from a governing authority, a civil authority, a secular authority, and there's this hard shift now back to reminding us again who we follow and who we obey. Like the laws that we follow and obey are, are the Lord's laws. So we, we don't steal, we, we, we don't kill, we don't do things because God has instructed us, right? That, and our chief law is still to love our neighbor. Verse 9, for this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to his neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. And this do, knowing the time that is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now, salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. You notice that shift. Look, you know what? You don't get all caught up in the government. Don't get even get all caught up in, 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 in the, the laws, the, the Old Testament laws, the Ten Commandments. Look, um, wake up. Wake up. You, the, the, the time is near, is near. Salvation is, is near. The end is near. You should be worried about that. You, you wonder why there's not a lot of details about the governing authorities and the, what about this? I mean, they could put them in here. They've got a lot of weird stuff that they could have listed in here. They've got a, a history of being in subjection of governing authorities. And yet we move from that and we come to this. It, it, it's, it's, it's not a coincidence. It's like, listen, get on the right page here. It's, it's, we're not here to debate about governing authorities. It, it's time for you to wake up. Salvation is nearer to us 
now than even when we first believed. Verse 12, the night is almost gone, the day is at hand. Let us therefore lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let's behave properly as in the day, not carousing and in drunkenness and sexual promiscuity and sexuality, not in strife, jealousy. Instead, 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 instead. When you think Romans 13, 1, let us therefore be in subjection to the governing authorities you should almost immediately jump to, you know what? Put on Jesus Christ. It's not about obeying the governing authorities. It's about putting on Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. But, but we live in this fallen, secular, corrupt world. And so, yes, we're, we're called to have this even higher than our secular law lifestyle, which is to love thy neighbor as yourself, to then fulfill the law of, of Christ, to put on Jesus Christ. That then becomes our central focus and theme. But we still have steps and we still have life that, that we live through. So... How do we evaluate our pursuit of, of godliness, our pursuit of holiness, our pursuit of, of, of walking and putting on Jesus Christ in the secular world? Well, I wanted to look at three kind of examples or three ways that we've seen through history, especially thinking through uh, Thanksgiving and, and just the the, the story of Thanksgiving. And so the three things or three ways we want to look at is we want to evaluate the pilgrims and their pursuit of holiness in the secular world. We want to evaluate Israel and their pursuit of holiness in a pagan world. And we want to evaluate the early Christians and their pursuit of holiness in an ungodly world. And so we'll, we'll take a look at some history and we'll take a look at some, some verses. But first I want to address this word holy. We've talked about this before. And in the Old Testament, holiness is, uh, uh, the word is Kadesh. And it means apart, sacred, not of this world. Now think about that for a second. Holy doesn't mean, okay, don't murder, don't steal, don't lie, don't commit adultery. That, that's not the definition of, of holiness, Right? Holiness is, is this idea then of being apart and sacred. Now, you can be apart and sacred by not doing these things, right? So, so that's the tie-in. That's how they're related. But first and foremost, you need to think about the idea of being separate from the world. It's the idea of, being, of, of light being absent from darkness, right? Light and darkness are not together. They're, they're, they're different, um, and so you are to separate yourself as light. You're to be separate yourself from the darkness. There should be a contrast. It was the idea of our founding fathers who, who had the, the, the thought of, of America being like a city on a hill, casting its light for all to see. We are different. We're different. How? We worship God. And so the, the, the first kind of pillar in, in that holiness then is the idea of being unequally yoked. We usually use this in, in, in terms of marriage. It's the idea of, of two oxen, right? Two oxen, they're, they're both like leading the way and, and they're strapped together. They're equal. They're equally yoked, tied together so that they're on the same path. Can you imagine kind of, you know, doing the... the the garden or doing your field and you got two oxen they want to go in different directions you know and it looks like that right crisscross applesauce no rows see we're to be equally yoked we're to be a step in step same goals same track same course same ending destination towards holiness this is why in genesis 24 in genesis 24 when when um, 
Abraham sends his servant Eleazar to go find a wife for Isaac, it's do not take one from the daughters of Canaan. Because she's unequally yoked. She's not going to have the same values, the same principles, the same God. They'll go in different directions. Same thing happens with Jacob, not to take a wife from Canaan in Genesis 28.1. And so, the idea of holiness then is, is a separation. A separation from the outside darkness, the outside sin, and then a unification of being equally yoked. Equally yoked. So, again, I mentioned before, holiness in a secular world isn't anything really new for Israel. That's all Israel had ever experienced. Israel was enslaved for 400 years in Egypt. Then Israel, for their entire history, is in the center of Canaan, in the center of the Philistines, in the center of their mortal enemies, the Canaanites. Then Israel is, is taken captive and taken captive by the Babylonians and then the Persians. They literally take them out of their, their country and take them back. And for, for a, a while, the, the Israel's divided and Israel's captured and Israel's conquered. And then Israel is taken by Rome. Israel, almost the entire Bible, when we're reading, Israel is under oppression of other authorities, other governments, and yet always called to be holy. So the first thing we see there is the holiness is, is, is absolutely essential. It doesn't matter where you're at. So how does that work? Well, the first group we want to look at are the pilgrims. The pilgrims and the pilgrims' pursuit of holiness. And we're pretty familiar with their story, but maybe we're not. And the pilgrims are in England and they're actually called separatists. Why? Because they were separate from the official Church of England, the Anglican Church of England, which was a, a weird combination of, of the Christian Church, the Catholic Church, and then just uh, some traditional stuff. Um, it, was a, it was a church state as well, so it was all connected. This is why when America is founded, they have the separation of the church and state. Not that they didn't want the church involved in the state, they didn't want the state involved in the church, because they saw what happened in England. And so the, the pilgrims are in England, and what started to happen was, well, the country started creating laws and started making it hard for them to, to freely worship as they had before. They, they began to find them. They were physically finding them for not going to the Anglican church. And then they started to imprison them for not going, and then they even had executions, executions. So it came to the point to where the pilgrims decided we have to move from England. And so that's when they went to Holland. Now, this group that went from England to Holland was, was more of a Bible study group. They were like an underground church group because they were being fined and imprisoned and, and persecuted. And so these people had been together. Their families had been together for a long time, had prayed together for a long time before they actually even went to Holland. And, and the idea there was, hey, we can get land, we can live, we can evangelize. They were very evangelistic. Um, and they wanted a new beginning. And so they went there, and they were there for 11 years, but it was horrible. The Dutch didn't like them. They didn't like them, and they, they started persecuting them too and, and started overcharging them for, for things. And even though the, the pilgrims were, were trying to assimilate into a, a new life, as you can imagine, they had already moved everything. Uh, things were not going well for them, for them there either. Uh, they were huge advocates of actually uh, writing and printing things. They, they loved to print, um, you know, like one-page kind of you know, articles. They, they loved to print um, little booklets. That was their method of, of spreading Christianity. And so they, they did that a lot. And then that became a source of contention, right? So it's, you know, if you had a group of people that you didn't agree with and they were printing a bunch of flyers and pamphlets and passing them out in the corners, you could understand how people would start to get annoyed with that. 
So <clears throat> the pilgrims then were surrounded by enemies. Um, they were surrounded by systems that were not for them, in favor of them. They were surrounded by corruption and it was starting to have a big effect on their children. And, and you understand how that goes. When, when you start to see your kids fall away from your faith, when you start to see the kids getting involved in the things of the community, right? Well, everybody else is doing it. That's the way we do it here. You know, so the drinking, the drugs, the carousing, the, you know, uh, social justice warrior systems of their day uh, were, were starting to take root. And so again, they realized, look, we, we are called to be holy. We're called to be holy. And where we're at now, it's not working. And so the question for us is, well, why didn't they just stay in England and fight it out? Why didn't they just stay in Holland and, and fight it out? Um, are, are, are they called to fight it out? Does, do the scriptures tell them that they're supposed to fight for their faith? Well, no, not really. Um, so they didn't, not physically. And then spiritually, should they have stayed there in that place and just, just, just live? Obey your governing authorities and, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? And follow Christ. Well, that's fine too until you're not able to do that. And so what did they do? Well, they picked up and they left. And they went to a, a third place called America. They went to a third place. Now, look, this, this was not a, 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 a whimsical thing. They, they spent years praying about it. They spent years saving money for it. Uh, it, was, it was a thoughtful, methodical decision. But it was their pursuit of holiness that led them to America. That was their goal. That was desire under the umbrella of a bad government. And so it was with that in mind that they set sail to establish a different government, a different system that would then allow them to freely worship their God. Well, <clears throat> the second example we want to look at is Israel's pursuit of holiness. How did Israel pursue holiness? Well, in Leviticus, Leviticus 11, 44, 45, we see the, uh, the establishment of the law again. And again, we see, uh, this is where we see the command to be holy, to be separate. It's important for us to understand that in the Hebrew, their verbs are a little bit different than ours. We, we have these action verbs, right? Um, I hit Frank. If I were to say that, you guys would probably instantly recognize that that would probably be a one-time act. But in the Hebrew, they have different verbs which are continuous acts. And so you would understand by reading that, that verb that, that when I said I hit Frank, what, what I'm really saying is I continuously, nonstop, make it a regular habit of hitting Frank. Just as a joke. I would never hit Frank. Plus, he might hit me back. No. But it's a continuous action. We, especially in, in, our, in our mindset, we have this idea of like holy, like, well, holy's compartmentalized. Well, holy's what I do when I come to church. You know, I take a shower, I get clean, I come over here, I, I, I don't curse at church, I... I try not to argue at church. I, I smile. I shake hands. I'm nice. I'm friendly. I'm holy in church. It, 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 it's, it's not continuous. And then I leave. Or, you know what? We've got a big event we've been waiting all year for. It's, it's Thanksgiving, and we're all going to go down. We're going to go to the mission, and we're going we're gonna to feed the homeless for this amazing day. And we're going to give, and we're going to serve, and we're going to... We're going to love, and then we're going to be done. One-time event, one day a year, done. Or maybe write a check. That's not how the, 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 the Hebrew verb works. The Hebrew verb works here when we say holy means continuously, constant, nonstop. 
And so when we read, especially in Leviticus, these instructions given to Moses, in Leviticus 19.2, God instructs Moses to be separate, to be a people who are separate. And it's in that that God then has this unique relationship with Israel that's separate from the other nations, the other countries. And then Israel is called, and we see this throughout Leviticus, Israel's called to be different. How so? In what ways? Well, they have a whole sacrificial system. And this is where we then, when we take our step back and we look backwards or we look in modern day, now what we want to do is we want to put on our American hat, we want to put on our freedom hat, we want to put on our independent autonomous hat and go, why, 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 I don't want to do that. Right? So we look and we say, well, sacrificial system, of why do we have to do that? Why do we have to do first grain offerings? Why do, why do we have to do a lamb offering? Why do we have to do a day of atonement? Why do, why do we have to do that? I don't want to do that. Why? Uh, then the instructions goes to circumcision. Why? You know, I, why? Why do circumcision? I don't want to do circumcision. You know, well, there's other countries that don't do circumcision. There's other belief systems that don't believe in circumcision. I don't want to do circumcision. Why? Um, eating instructions. Why? Bacon's good. I like bacon. Pork tenderloin's awesome. Why no, why no pork? Why? Why no shellfish? I want lobster. I want, you know, I, I, I want shrimp. Why? Um, you know, then we, you know, clothing. Well, you're supposed to dress, uh, you know, a certain way and wear, well, I don't want to, I, I want to wear, you know, I want to wear what I want to do. The kids down the street are wearing this and you know, I want to wear what they're wearing. I want to wear the sneakers they're wearing. I want to look like they look. I want to wear, you know, the same hairstyle that they're wearing. Um, and it just keeps going on and on and on. And all these lists in and of themselves, you can understand who cares. Who cares what you eat? Who cares what you wear? Who cares how long or short your hair is? You know, hair's been, you know, really, really bad if it's really, really short. When I was, you know, in college and going to school and, you know, would shave my head, you know, I had people accusing me of being a neo-Nazi. It's just, I shaved my head because when I was a little kid and wearing a football helmet, it was really comfortable and I don't want to brush my hair and I like shaving my head. That's it. There's no political statement. Um, other people, you know, had really long hair and, you know, and well, the hippies had long hair, so you can't have long hair, you know, so the long hair and then the Beatles, you know, they had those crazy bowl cuts that were really radical. Were they radical? Yeah, they were because at the time they were making a, a, a distinct point of separating themselves from the norm. From, for lack of a better term, their parents. I don't want you to wear your hair like those crazy beetles. Well, you could argue all day long, though. Oh, it doesn't matter how long my hair is. Well, it does now, because now it is an ordinance that is being placed in front of you, and it is a lifestyle of the community around you. And you know what? You're called not to be like the community around you. But the community changes. Yeah, it does. Yes, true. Um, and here's the point. The separation, the being different is a holy thing. We're not called to be like the world. By definition, when you find yourself being a lot like the world, when, when nobody could tell that you're a Christian... For whatever reason, whether the way you talk, the way you walk, the way you dress, the way you act, whatever reason, they go, you? There's nothing different about you. That's not a compliment. People should be able to see you. When, when, when I first read Matthew and, and, and I was reading and, and, and I saw that we're called to be a light. It absolutely broke my heart because I knew at that time when I was a brand new believer and walking on the campus of a Christian campus and every single person I ever talked to for more than two minutes said to me, wow, it's really neat talking to you. You love the Lord. I never knew that. I thought you were dot, 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 dot. Now I could have been really offended, right? Who, who and how dare they judge me? And I was offended. 
And I didn't like that. Until I came across Matthew. And I realized, you know what? I'm supposed to be a light in this world. I'm supposed to be a light. Lights don't talk. Lights don't ever get an opportunity to explain themselves. They just sit up there and they shine and people know who they are by how they look without talking. Are you a light? Are you a holy light? Because that's what Israel was being called to pursue constantly, to be this holy light. This is where we even see in, uh, we see in like Leviticus, um, it's Leviticus 19, we start seeing things like, ooh, you know, uh, tattoos, right? Not supposed to do the tattoo thing. Um, and we get, you know, tweaked about that. And then we start getting into the piercings. And uh, it's like, listen, these have always been demarcations of rebellion. They've always been demarcations of, of things that are not of the Lord. Who, who are we kidding? And so, you know what? You, you can come up with all the different reasons why they're okay. Every single one of those reasons are all team secular, right? Team world, team the new age era. It's like, that's not team God. It's not that in and of itself, this, uh, the silly tattoo, well, mine's a cross, not a satanic image, you know? It, it's... That that's not the issue. The issue then is one of, is, is that like what the world does or is that like what God has commanded? Um, and so Israel was constantly called to pursue holiness by being different and, and, and looks matter. Not to me. They, they matter to God. Read Leviticus. There's a lot of details over the things you eat, the way you act, the way you, you, you look, and the things you do. Yes, there's also the way we live by character, which is our A1. That's our A1 mark of holiness. Again, back to, to Romans 13. Don't get caught up in all the rules and the regulations of the governing authorities. Act in love. Walk like Christ, right? Takes you full circle there. How are we to be holy then? Leviticus 27. Keep, keep, keep. Continuous action verb. Keep my decrees. Keep my law. Put them in practice. And I always love that phrase in the Bible, practice, because it reminds me of the doctors, right? The doctors are trained physicians. They go to school for 150 years, you know, and, and they, they have internships. And then you go to them and you're, you know, like the, the 800th baby that they've delivered. And it's like, well, welcome to my practice. It's a very humble thing to say if you think about it. Because they're doctors and they have experience and they've done it for a long time. They're still practicing. Reminds me as an athlete. I don't care if you're LeBron James or Russell Wilson. They go to practice. They keep working on their skills to get better. We're in the practice of practicing holiness. And there's a lot of different ways that we practice holiness in our actions and the way we dress and the way we talk and the way we look. Israel's pursuit of holiness then commanded and demanded that they be different from those around them. And we're going to read more and more about this as we're reading through uh, the Old Testament. This is why the idea, and, and let me... Let me be very clear here. The idea of multicultural, the idea of interdenominational is a very dangerous thing spiritually, right? It's not a black or white thing. It's not a, 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 an anti-other religion thing. What it is is, look, you're called to be separate from the others by being focused on this. Well, what's this? This is the Bible. So we rally and we focus and we center on this. We can be united under God's law and word. I can't be united under, well, God's holy law 
and the Quran and the Book of Mormon and all the other secular books in the world and philosophies. I'm not united under that. And, and so the idea that you hear every single day, especially in our world, is, is unite, unite, to unite. Around what? Politically, the, I mean, we can't even unite around the Constitution anymore. The people crying for unification don't believe in our, in our only document that is a solid document of, of law and, and order and instruction. And they want to unite. Unite under what? It's no different spiritually, especially spiritually. And Israel is constantly called, stay away from the Canaanites. Stay away from the idolatry. Stay away from the paganism. Stay away from the way of the world. And today it's, it's seeped back into, into our churches and into our ways because it comes under the cloud of, well, you know, let, let's unite. Can't we all just, you know, get along spiritually? It's like, well, we can as long as it's according to God's word. If it's not, then we can't. We can't. We have to be separate from them. We have to be holy. <clears throat> Well, again, we saw this in our third, our third pursuit, our third example here is early Christianity, early Christianity. In 1 Peter 1.16, we're reminded to be holy. Why? Why do I have to be holy anyway? I don't know that I want to be holy. I don't, want to, I don't know that I want to be separate. Well, you're, you're to be holy because God's holy. You're to be holy because God said to be holy. That's why. There's your why. And so you're called to be separate. In the Greek, it's the same thing. It's, 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 it's the, the sacred set of being apart. Apart. In the New Testament, we see the, the clear lines of separate to what? Separate to denying yourself. You got to be separate to yourself. You can't, you can't be selfish or self-centered. Heck, we have a whole new religion, right? Secular humanism. It kind of started, you know, 40 years ago, and now we don't even talk about it. We just say it like it's, it's you know, um, the way it is. Well, of course you're supposed to love yourself first. Well, you're supposed to love God first. You love God first. Give up yourself. Follow Him. Deny yourself follow him, pick up your daily cross. You be willing to sacrifice yourself for others, for him. Take up your daily cross and follow me. Follow in the steps of Christ, not in the steps of the world. Well, the world is doing this, this, and this. Yeah, I know. This is how Christ lives. Pick a side. Again, Colossians 3 7 through 17 talks about this putting on and putting off. Again, continuous action, action verbs. We must constantly, actively pursue holiness. Romans 12 gives us a, a, a list of, of extreme Christian conduct. That's how we're supposed to, to live in this world. We're, we, we, we're not guessing. Let me read. Romans 12 for you. I've given you verses that hopefully you guys get a chance to, to look up. But th here's our Christian contact, our, our Christian conduct. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, evil. Don't celebrate evil. Don't like evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another. In honor, that's again, falling under the do nothing for selfishness or empty conceit, but regard others, give preference to others. Verse 11, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, preserving in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own 
estimation. Never pay back for evil to anyone unless it's really bad. No, no, that's not what it says. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men, if possible, so far as it depends on you. Be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge. See, God didn't think you got it the first time. When he said, don't repay back evil for evil, he wanted to reemphasize that, right? Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. Let God deal with the wrath. Let God pay back. But what about my government? What, what about my... Let, let, let God handle it. Vengeance, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. I will handle this, says the Lord. I am in control of this, says the Lord. Verse 20, but if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What is my, my A1 rule when I look at obeying my governing authorities? When I look at, yeah, but what, what about when there's evil? What about when there's, you know, can I take revenge? Can I take this into my own hands? Don't worry, vengeance is mine, says God. Don't overcome evil with evil. Overcome evil with good. So again, that becomes our overarching principle. We see this throughout the book of Romans. We see this in a time where people are, are slaves to the Roman Empire. And they're called to do this. They're called to be slaves to Christ while being obedient even to the government. By the way, did you guys notice that this Christian conduct list came right before chapter 13, verse 1, obeying the government? That's the context. You guys understand that the context of obeying the government is don't worry about the government. Worry about living the Christian life. And then right after it says, look, be in subjection to the government. Then it ends again with that, right? <clears throat> Behaving properly because you need to be ready. Wake up. The time is near. Nestled in there is this little issue of you're going to have to do this. And it's probably going to be while living in a country or a place where you have governing authorities who don't agree, don't believe, are different than your belief system. It's a given. It's going to be a given. So... We're called to still pursue. We're called Galatians 5, 20, 22, to still live by the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, right? You're still called to live. And so, bringing this all together, we, we're, we're called to pursue holiness um, in this very dark world, in a secular world. The pilgrims had to do it. The Israelites had to do it. Early Christians have to, had to do it. And we have to do it. Um, but I want to encourage you with this too. David ate the showbread. Well, what does that mean? First Samuel 21.6, we... We see David and he's fleeing Saul. Saul's trying to kill David because David is the anointed new king. And so Saul or David and his men are hungry and they're fleeing the army and they're hungry. And so they are at the temple, right? With the, with the priests. And the law is, well, th th this is like, this is the, the atonement bread, right? This is the communion bread. You're not allowed to, this isn't lunchtime, okay? It's not a snack. It's not a commissary. And so the priest gives David some of the consecrated bread to eat because he's hungry, him and his men. This is the example that Jesus gives, that Jesus gives in Mark 2. In Mark 2, <clears throat> Jesus heals um, 
heals a paralytic. And the Pharisees, in verse 23, and it came about that he was passing through the grain fields and the Sabbath and his disciples began to make their way along while picking the heads of grape. And the Pharisees were saying to him, see here, or, or I'm sorry, this is different. Um, see here, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? They weren't supposed to, like as they're walking, pick grain because that was work. It was the Sabbath. They're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. So as they're walking, they're just kind of picking you know, some grain doesn't sound like a very good lunch to me. Um, the Pharisees are like, aha, we caught you. You're breaking the law. Right? And the Pharisees were saying, see here, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and became hungry? And he and his companions, and he entered the house of God in the time of Abithar, the high priests, and they ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests. And he gave it also to those who were with him. We start to see here then an interesting conversation between Jesus and the Pharisees. And that conversation is one of obeying the law. Um, when we start exploring other examples of this, uh, we, we, we start seeing things like <clears throat> Exodus 15. And the Hebrew midwives are given the instruction to kill the babies. Right? They're given the instruction to kill all the babies. And they refuse. They won't do it. They do not obey the law of their country. We see in 1 Samuel 14, Saul's soldiers um, are instructed to go punish Jonathan for breaking the law. They refuse to do it. Esther 115, the queen is, queen Esther is, is called to, to show herself on display, right? In front of all the, the, the drunken people and she's, I'm not going to do it. She disobeys the law. We see again, Esther does it again and she approaches the king when she's not supposed to approach the king in Esther 4.16. She breaks the law. We see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refuse to bow down before the statue and worship a false idol. They don't obey the law. We see Daniel 6. Daniel refuses to obey the law. He prays openly. The only way they're going to get Daniel guilty of something is they're going to have to make a law based upon his religion. He obeys his God. Luke 2, we see the three kings seek to find Jesus and worship him. Wait a minute, do you understand what's happening? These babies are supposed to be killed and these guys are looking for the baby. They're, they're breaking the law. They're looking for the person who broke the law to find the baby because that's what God has called them. We see in the New Testament, Acts 4, Peter and John are commanded to stop preaching the gospel. And then in Acts 5, they're thrown into prison for doing it. We see Paul, again, defied civil authorities for preaching in Acts 16. So, why are we going through this? In Romans 13, back to Romans 13, the idea of being subject then to your to your government comes into question. We try to show you the different epics of time with the pilgrims, the Israelites, uh, the New Testament church, the verses that look, we are commanded to be obedient. We're commanded to trust God. God is in control. But, but there are times that we see throughout the scripture where people follow God's law. And understand this, every person being in subjection to the governing authorities, the, the, the Greek term here is uh, hupotasso, which is for servant, which is the idea, it's a Greek military term, which is you voluntarily put yourself under a commander's lead. So you voluntarily become in subjection to your leader. You have a, a voluntary attitude of subjecting yourself to the leader. 
There's another word that we see throughout the scriptures used for servants called doulos. It's more of a slave. It's a slave. You don't have an option. It's, it's, it's not like hupotasso, where it's, it's, it's voluntarily. The, the slave of Christ is, a, is, is that of a slave and a master. See, we don't have a choice but to obey our master. That's not a choice. We, we, we willingly put ourselves in subjection to this governing authority. And we're, we're to obey that governing authority, but not above our master. Not above our master. And so when we see things of disobedience in, in the scriptures, these, these are not pithy reasons why people are being disobedient. They're, they're, they're not murdering babies. They're, they're not worshiping false idols. They're, they're, they're praying to God. They're, they're, they're doing direct commands that, that God has instructed us to. And so that's our guideline. That's our guideline. When, when, when we move forward in, in this world today, um, we, we cannot and will not give up our opportunity to worship God. That is what we're called to do. Um, and so that's what we'll do. Now, again, we're not called to be in some kind of military rebellion. We're not called to that. We don't see that in the scriptures. We don't see that in, in our, our history of our other brothers. If you have to move, move. Um, but we're not called to violent acts against our government. That's not what we're called to do. So we are, are called to be obedient as often and as much as we possibly can. And, and so, but there are going to be those times where we have to follow God. We are going to, to sing praises to our God. We're going to sing and 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 worship the Lord God Almighty because we're commanded to do so. That's what our God likes. Our God likes when we worship Him. So we're going to worship and sing Him. That we can't follow. Um, and so if there were a law that was voted on and enacted and put into place, I would still have to sing because God calls me to sing. That's the way it is. It's not a law yet, but... But hopefully you guys understand that these are some of the guidelines and principles that we follow or, or fall under as we work our way through being holy, being separate in a secular world. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for...